Welcome, welcome, welcome into Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on a Wednesday that feels like a Friday. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny, thanks for being with us on this Thanksgiving Eve. And a lot to dive into here on this Wednesday. Jack Leonard, no longer an Indianapolis Colt, plus Purdue holds off Tennessee in <laughs> borderline unwatchable game based on the number of fouls called. Plus, uh, a fix for the old Oaken Bucket game. No, not not rigged, but how to fix it, how to make it more entertaining. We'll get to that later this hour. In hour number two, Austin Mack, Lures grad, former Ohio State Buckeye, had uh, a couple of stints in the NFL. We'll talk with him. CFL Grey Cup champion Austin Mack of the Montreal Alouettes. He will join us to talk about uh, his first season in the CFL. Uh, we'll also talk about Purdue and who they have coming up this afternoon. So no sports rush today because of Purdue basketball. Uh, pre-game at 4, tip at 5 in the Maui Invitational Championship game. Not number one versus number two, like we all expected. Uh, that will not be happening uh, in Honolulu. Uh, we'll, more on the Boilers. And the Maryland athletic director says the quiet part out loud talking about what's to come in college athletics. Not hmm. surprised by this, but you knew someone would eventually say something along these lines. Yeah, we'll get to that. So plenty to get to today. Wanted to start it off, though, today with, in my opinion, the biggest story of yesterday. Did you see this? Ichiro pitching in Japan. What? Uh, now, this would never happen. The outcry in America would just be significant. Ichiro, thro- this is the headline. MB- MLB legend Ichiro Suzuki throws shutout, strikes out nine in exhibition against high school girls team. What? <laughs> he threw a complete game shutout, 116 pitches against a high school girls baseball team in Japan. He had nine strikeouts. And went two for five at the plate with a double. So apparently, retirement in Japan includes for Ichiro balling out against girls. That is something. I mean, like, okay, like uh, yeah, I, I I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, Ichiro's throw shutout against Japanese high school girls team. Do also, with that what you will. The girls play. Baseball, like yes. not softball, but yes, baseball. they're not playing slow pitch softball over there, or even fast, but they play baseball over in Japan. That's pretty cool. I did not know that. Yes, uh, but yeah, Ichiro getting his uh, getting his kicks in retirement by throwing a complete game shutout against a high school girls team. So we'll get to uh, the Shaq Leonard news in a bit, uh, but first headlines this morning. No surprise, but Eagles Chiefs averaged nearly twenty nine million viewers between the ESPN and ABC. Uh, platforms highest rated Monday night football since Cowboys Packers in 1996. Just incredible number. And, and just reinforces the fact that how big the NFL is Uh, for the NBA finals uh, game five of the NBA finals. uh, That was the championship clinching game last year, got 13 million. So over double the amount of viewers for Chiefs Eagles than game five of the NBA finals. And you could continue to go. We could bring up World Series. You can bring up um, anything. Uh, Masters. It was Masters final round um, in 2023 got uh, 10 million viewers. I mean, it's just stupid, stupid ratings 
And that game was on, was it on broadcast on ABC too? ABC and ESPN. Okay. So uh, 15, just over 15 and a half million on ABC, nearly 11 and a half million on ESPN. Then when you throw in the additional channels, 1.92 million uh, watch the Manning cast on ESPN two. Uh, that's the best average audience figure in more than two years for that. Um, no, no surprise that this kind of a matchup draws eyeballs, but I don't think anyone expected these kind of numbers. I just, or should we? I mean, at this point for the NFL, it's nothing surprising considering I mean, still Monday night though. It's, it's, um, it's not prime time time slot. I know people are accustomed to watching Monday night football. I get it, but it's not Sunday night. Could you imagine the Sunday night number? I oh, mean, yeah. it would be upwards yeah. of 30 plus million people that would have watched just, just stupid. And for ESPN, uh, so they start broadcasting Monday Night Football, the 2006 season, largest average audience for in the history of it airing on ESPN, uh, passing up the week one matchup between the Bills and Jets, which was record setting at the time, 22.6 million. So they, they easily toppled that. Just uh, just wild, wild number um, for that. Just, uh, just, just crazy. I mean, it's just whatever you think in terms of we can we dissect the NFL and what works and what doesn't work and and we talked about hip drop tackles like yesterday and and changing the game despite all the changes whether you like them or not you are still tuning in to the NFL in record numbers meanwhile in college football college football playoff rankings out Georgia still number one Ohio State two Michigan three Washington passes Florida State for the fourth spot FSU drops to five Oregon 6, Texas 7, Alabama 8th. Basically anyone after that essentially out of contention for a spot. Now, here, we, we knew FSU would get dropped. Event, and then this is the funny thing is and I rolled my eyes when I saw this. So, the committee is asked and I don't know if there's a committee chair or whatever yesterday was asked did the injury to uh was it Jordan Travis? Yes. For Florida State have any impact on dropping Florida State and bumping well, of course Washington? It did. He says no. I'm like, get real. Yeah, get real. Don't lie to us because, of course, they want you to portray the college football playoff rankings as indicative of what teams have done so far and and not indicative of future results. But you cannot tell me that that didn't have an impact in dropping Florida State out of the top four. Give me a break. Yeah, we we all know that's exactly the reason why. This happened and saying anything otherwise I mean, is a lie. Quit treating us like idiots. Yes. I mean, we know why you dropped Florida State. Okay. Because Washington has had innumerable wins over ranked opponents this year that should have bumped them in the top four. You cannot tell me that enough committee members were convinced after beating Oregon State that Washington's one of the top four programs. The reason why Florida State was dropped is because Jordan Travis is out for the year. Period. Yeah. There's no other reason needed. Don't don't treat us like children. <laughs> Come on. Uh, again, don't let the committee get to you. It's it's all <laughs> okay, stu- it it's, it's all stupidity until the final rankings come out. Then you can rage. I will ask anything before that not worth the effort and the energy. And I'll ask you again of the four teams: Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, Washington. Which one is least likely to make the playoff? Uh, who, I mean, obviously, whoever loses yeah. between Michigan and Ohio are you, State. Are you saying Ohio State loses this week? Uh, I've changed my tune. Really? I think Michigan loses this week. Oh. Hmm. What made you tune change? Well, not having Jim Harbaugh, bad performance against Maryland. Look, I get it. It's it's the game before the game, right? But J.J. McCarthy's not looked good for several weeks. 
And Ohio State has an elite level defense. I just don't think J.J. McCarthy's good enough in a, in a matchup like that. I just don't know how people are going to decide whether to watch that or Indiana Purdue <laughs> at noon. I mean, it's crazy. Like, what are you going to do? Okay, I'm done joking. Around. <laughs> okay, uh, the Indiana Pacers. And, and someone texted in saying... Uh, watching the Pacers and then going back to Purdue, Tennessee is like watching mankind before and after the invention of the wheel. Yeah, I saw someone actually tweet that exact same thing last night. And, you know... We had two games going on Two very different games. And And, and the Pacers, what they did, and we'll get to Purdue in a bit. What the Pacers did is ridiculous. Like, they gave up 86 points at halftime. They gave up 152 points in regulation and still managed to win. Uh, and when the Pacers allowed 138 or more in franchise history, 0-36, they won that game. Uh, and it's not just that they won. It's that they allowed uh, the second most points and a half ever. Uh, 87 was the previous January of 2022. Uh, obviously, the Pacers went on to win this game. And then also, uh, you, you have... Just the number of, again, you give up 152 points in game in regulation and win. Like, that's comical. I, I'm sure there are people out there that found that game entertaining. I did not. I, 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 in my opinion, that's not basketball. That's just, that's just exhibition, no defense. Just It's, it's an all-star me, game. It's, yeah, it's an all-star game. It's, it's stupid. I, I, and, and I know there are people out there that would much, much rather watch that than Snyder, or Snyder, Purdue, Tennessee. And I'm sure there are plenty of people that say I'd rather watch Purdue, Tennessee than that. Me, I'd much rather watch Purdue and Tennessee. That to me is not entertaining. 309 points in a game? No, it doesn't. I'm sorry. That's not, that's not basketball to me. No hey, defense hey, is, no, but, is not basketball. But the Pacers are the first team ever to advance out of their group in the NBA in-season tournament. We're just setting they, the ground. They beat work. out the Lakers. Oh, uh, yeah. Tyrese Halliburton, Cup, franchise record 26 points in the third quarter. If that entertains you, sure. It does not to me. That's absurd. There, there is a point where like you lose me, right? And seeing that score, and look, if that goes to like double overtime, like I understand, right? But this yeah, was regulation. Yeah, you sent me that text and said the Pacers gave up 152 points in regulation and won. I was like, I, I, I was, no way. <laughs> it's, it's not entertaining to me. I, maybe to others, but a text coming in. That's why the NBA is unappealing to me. Yeah. I mean, exhibit a, there's just, it's, it's exhibition basketball. I was going to say like that, that is peak exhibition basketball. Um, now what we saw at Purdue and Tennessee was the complete opposite end of the spectrum, but and I can see how people were turned off yeah, about that. Yeah, no, you need something somewhere in the middle between those two extremes. Can we get, just get normal basketball, please? It'd be nice. Uh, meanwhile, the Indianapolis Colts have waived, Shaq Leonard, he was told Monday after team pictures he'd be inactive for Sunday's game against Tampa Bay and the Colts returning after the bye. Now, we're not surprised he was cut. Obviously, we're surprised he was cut in season. We figured it was a foregone conclusion he'd be cut after the year, but obviously his public comments speaking out about playing time and complaining about not getting, you know, reps on third down and, you know, not once, but remember two separate times. That clearly did not go over well with the Colts organization, and the Colts made this move. So following the the events, so Indianapolis told him Monday that he would not be active 
for the upcoming game. Yeah. Was that then Shaq Leonard asking to be released after that? He How did he that... apparently was cut by the Colts. So I'm wondering if he was told he was not he was not going to dress, he was going to be a uh, quote-unquote healthy scratch and then he asked to be released or the Colts did it. I, I'm wondering. I guess no, he, he he got word yesterday of his release. Okay, of his release. So yeah. he, it wasn't him asking for it. So for 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 the Colts it was a surprising move, but then you start thinking about it and not particularly with how he had performed or lack thereof. I think contractually, um, a fair amount of that, when you look at the cap impact with multiple seasons remaining on that contract, how much is dead money? And it says, according to over the cap, the Colts will take on $8 million in dead money due to the pro prorated guaranteed money for the 24 and 25 seasons, $4 million in each season. So uh, his $15.7 million base salary this year became fully guaranteed during the off season during the off season. So the Colts are still on the hook for that over the remainder of the season. So after this year, all they have to pay him is $4 million per year of dead money. And in games played after his, his post rookie contract, just 12 games, he earned $42.9 million of that deal. And look, I don't blame the Colts for giving him the deal that they did. Not the, at the, the time. Injuries, no, I, yeah, I mean, he was one of the best players in the NFL. Not just defensive players, but best players. Um, four-time All-Pro, like, he was an elite-level talent. And to me, like, it, it's clear the injuries. Like, I, I'm not blaming the Colts. And, like, you look at the money, like, they'll be fine. They'll get through this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not a big deal. And I think the other factor is more, and someone texted this in at 46862. Some team is getting a good backup linebacker, though. Um, are they? Are they? Because you look at the numbers, and uh, he has another $6.5 guaranteed for injury in 2024, so I don't think he'll get claimed off waivers. I mean, he's probably going to be a free agent, and you just wonder, like, you know, does he get a, a shot, maybe in the... I don't know. Is there like a different level of money come the playoffs that it's not like a regular season contract? Like, yeah, is that not. a possibility? Like, I just, here's the thing. He's not a starting linebacker. Like, we saw what happened against the Patriots. First play of the game, that was it. He was done. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that the injuries derailed his career, but also, like, for him speaking out so publicly like he did against the organization, like, this is what can happen. In terms of landing spots, I, I just I know Philly has had some issues at linebacker with injuries. I just don't know if he if he can help Philly. To be honest, yeah. Pittsburgh has been decimated by injuries at linebacker. I mean, they had to to, to bring back Miles Jack, who had retired, to play linebacker for them. I just I don't know if if Shaq Leonard has what it takes to be. He was being effectively benched by a mediocre football team. And the Colts. So what makes people think that he can go to Buffalo and and help out or Philly and help out or Pittsburgh and hell out help out? I, I I don't know. I will see if he lands on his feet. I, I have my doubts at this point. And who wants a linebacker that wasn't even playing on third down? You know, like yeah. if he's not an every down linebacker, why bother? <laughs> Ever since he changed his name to Shaq, he was never the same. The injury is just a coincidence. It's all about the name change from yeah, yeah, to Shaq. Yeah. Um uh, it's unfortunate, but in the end, Shaq Leonard is a millionaire. He's getting paid. 
and his career has been derailed by injuries. We've seen it time and time and time again. I, I, I'm I'm impressed by the aggressiveness that the Colts showed. This you have to be callous in the NFL and in pro leagues in terms of your movement with players, and the Colts were callous in this situation. And there was no reason to to keep him any longer after what we saw against New England. It was all it, it was all just vanity, right? By keeping him on the roster after that, and the Colts made the move, and I. I applaud them for it. Perfectly, don't blame them. And when you can only, when it's a fifty-three man roster, you cannot have any limitations on that fifty-three man. And were was was Shaq Leonard's comments, public comments, impacted this? Yeah, probably. Uh, but the difference between his situation and Jonathan Taylor's, Jonathan Taylor is still a very good football player in this league. Shaq Leonard is not, and now he's out of a job. But I did see Shaq Leonard was still giving out turkeys yeah, yesterday in really Indianapolis. Cool. Really cool to see, but as of today, no longer in Indianapolis Colt. Coming up on the other side, Purdue in Tennessee. Oh, just got interrupted by another foul call. <laughs> uh, we'll get to the recap of that game next. Here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on Wednesday. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny, final show of the week. No show tomorrow for Thanksgiving. No show on Black Friday as well, so... Hope you enjoy some time off. We will do our best to enjoy some time off as well. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. And if you have thoughts on Purdue, Tennessee last night, you will want that number handy again. 46862. 51 fouls called in this game, Justin. 51. It was it was like the second half. There was a stretch. I can't remember the exact like minute mark, but it just felt like every single play turned into a foul. Like probably the what the eight minute mark to the four minute mark. It it seemed like it was every single movement was a foul. It was it was silly. I was listening to this game, the first half of the game on the way home from work, and it was all the jokes about how physical it was, and then it continued with Jay Billis and company on ESPN when I got home watching the second half that it was just it was absurd. Now, that game was really physical. Okay. So I'm not saying the officials hijacked the game. I think there were some calls that weren't fouls, but I think it was so physical. The officials were trying to keep the game. I saw people saying, well, the, the officials have lost control of this game. No. no, it was the opposite. They were trying to keep it in control and maybe took that control a little bit too far, but there were. it was just a physical basketball game. Both teams, very aggressive defense in the half court, and that's the result you had. And I know the story is going to be the amount of fouls, but very impressed with what Purdue was able to do last night. Foul trouble for Zach Eady. Uh, Fletcher Lawyer bounces back career high 27 points. People questioned yesterday, oh my gosh, is Fletcher Lawyer's starting spot in danger? Those two had 50 of the 71 points for the Boilers. It was a, a great performance. Really impressed with how Purdue defended all night. Tennessee could was never able to get on track offensively, and even when they had good looks, they missed it, almost anticipating a Boilermaker to be there as soon as they turned to shoot. It was a really good win for Purdue. An ugly win, to be sure, but a win. Both teams shot just under 27% from three, but Purdue was able to hit some early, and Zach Eady, after missing his first six free throws, ended up going 9 of 17 from the line, so that was, was key. But I, I just think for Purdue, they they found a way to get a win when Zach Eady's in foul trouble and the Boilers weren't clicking offensively. Fletcher Lawyer had a huge and one during that stretch. 
Uh, it looked like Tennessee was going to rally back in this one, but Purdue made plays, made shots when it mattered, and you know, for, for all the bones about officiating, look, look Tennessee, like if, if we think Big Ten basketball is over-aggressive and physical, this was next level. Now, this will not be successful in the NCAA tournament with how that's uh, officiated, right? They won't put up with that, and, and I don't think the refs put up with it last night either. That's why every play was a foul, because they're like, well, you, you got to defend without fouling, right. and Tennessee simply could not do that. Um, Purdue had it. Purdue had its troubles, too, yeah. at times, and being able to do that. There were some questionable calls over the course of the game, but I felt like it was officiated the way the game was being played. And, and for Purdue, just three bench points, uh, Caleb first hit, hit three free throws. So for the Boilers to get a win in a game... I mean, you shoot 60% from the foul line. Can you imagine 48 free throw attempts in a game? <laughs> 78 combined between the two teams, but 48 foul shots. The game just would not end last night. But you look at what the what the Purdue Boilermakers had to do. Late in the first half, Zach Eady on the bench, two fouls, and was able to stay ahead for most of that first half and then ended up trailing by one at the break. But got into the break without Zach Eady having to go re, be reinserted in the game and threatened for a three, third foul. Fletcher Lawyer was 17 first half points. He was huge. Uh, Trey Kaufman-Wren, I thought, was what you want from Trey Kaufman-Wren. Eight points, eight rebounds. Didn't shoot the best from the field, but if he can give you eight and eight every game, that's good if you're a Boilermaker fan, if if, if TKR can give you that. Um, it, when you look, all of a sudden we were talking about uh, Miles Colvin. Lance Jones had an off night last night. This is the thing is, if Purdue is able to consistently get someone else or else's, it doesn't really matter who it is, and it could be somebody different each game. Last night it was Fletcher Lawyer. Night before it was Lance Jones. I mean, Braden Smith is going to have his nights. Uh, occasionally it's going to be Miles Colvin, who looked completely lost last night, by the yeah, way, in he, the physicality he, of that game. He looks game. very much like a freshman. Yes. Uh, sometimes it'll be Mason Gillis, but last night it was Fletcher Lawyer, and that's kind of what you need with Purdue, and the ability for the Boilermakers to have that is somebody else each game stepping up and uh, outside of Edie, of course. And you saw it late in that first half, and then that stretch when Edie picked up his fourth or his third around the nine-minute mark of the second half, and they had to play a solid four minutes without him on the floor, and Purdue did very, very well and ended up holding on for the 71 to 67 win. They, they found a way. And I guess that's the biggest thing, you know, and you can complain about, you know, text rolling in Purdue won't do anything in the tourney. They can't hit free throws and shoot from three or get to the rim. Consistently. Look, you found a way to win against a good team. You had to overcome Zach Eady and foul trouble. You had to overcome just fouls galore, a physical style of game. You, you won't see a game this physical in the big 10. Yeah. Like that, that's was, what's insane about what we saw last wild. night. Yeah, it was and, absolutely and, well. and to me, you know, as ugly, as unwatchable as this was, you found a way to win. And that's the thing. Purdue was terrible in the first half. And just like they weren't very good against Gonzaga in the first half. In the second yeah, half, they're, they're a different team. They will, they will out-tough you. They will out-physical you. Um, and, and the biggest thing is, you know, getting offensive rebounds, right? That Purdue was able to do that consistently in this game. And I think that's the, the one of the biggest things for Purdue going forward is being able to adapt to different situations and how games are being played. If you want to run and gun against Purdue and they're able to beat you, then advantage Boilermakers. If you want to muck it up and be like Tennessee and just make it ultra physical and, 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 and aggressive man defense, then Purdue can beat you doing that too. 
So, yeah, you can look at the free throws and say, man, they missed 19 of them. But when you take 48, uh, yeah, the percentage isn't the, isn't the best. They shot only 4 or 15. What they did last night, though, was find a way. They found a way in different fashion the night before against Gonzaga. They found a way last night. That's what really good teams do. And they were able to adapt and succeed last night, pulling it out in Maui. Uh, text coming in, all he jumps and said to bench lawyer, he heard you. So yeah, the folks that were pe- texting yes- in yesterday talking about Fletcher Lawyer, he had himself a game last night. And, and, and I think going back to it, I think you look at it, it's, it can be somebody else each game for Purdue. It doesn't necessarily have to be Braden Smith every night or Lance Jones every night or Fletcher Lawyer every night. It just has to be somebody outside of Zach Eady. And for Purdue, we all thought they would match up with number one Kansas. Well, number one Kansas got routed by Marquette, uh, losing by 14. Um, I don't think anyone saw that coming. Uh, Hunter Dickinson, 13 points. Kevin McCuller had, had 24 in the loss. But this is a Marquette team. Now, not muck it up quite like Tennessee, but it's a Marquette team that's going to play very tough defense and, and be pretty physical as well. It is, and it was a good challenge for both teams. And no, November in, in Hawaii, playing this game, it, it means a lot to win, but it means a lot to play these games and put yourselves in different situations. And this was definitely a growing situation, a growing learning experience for Purdue and, and Coach Matt, uh, Matt Painter in terms of what he has and how guys are able to handle different situations. And Purdue was able to do that. They get a bit of a break hit, taking on Marquette today as opposed to top-ranked Kansas but we'll see if they can reach the finish line playing three tough opponents in three days. And again, Purdue Marquette this afternoon, pregame at four, tip at five for the Maui Invitational Tournament Championship. Uh, We'll have it right here on 1380 The Fan in 100.9 FM. Uh, Someone else uh, texting in CK Bench, TKR, or have him practice shooting till his arm falls off. Uh, You know, everyone projected him to be this breakout player this year and I I think one Purdue has so many options they don't need him to be that guy every night right and that's part of it but these are like some of the Purdue is playing elite teams in this tournament like they're not playing you know Army or Harvard Ooh, ouch they're playing elite teams this week so I guess I'm not worried about like if if you win these games against these elite opponents doesn't matter how However, you get there how you do it yeah it's just that matter you win. as long as you're winning them i guess i'm not like reading into all these things like purdue is is going to be playing like you look at the big Ten outside of michigan state who scares you right and even michigan state i mean they they play a tough schedule they start slow seemingly every year and figure it out but like it, it doesn't feel like a strong conference this year no it doesn't i mean purdue but they're not going undefeated in the big 10 but they should outside of maybe Michigan State, run away with it again by multiple games like they did last year. But it was just a, a really good win. It's a, it's a You could say it's a resume builder. I don't think Purdue necessarily needs them because they'll be a one seed uh, at, in the tournament or a two at the worst. And But just being able to win in different ways because what was the bugaboo last year, particularly against Fairleigh Dickinson, is when Zach Eady isn't on, Yep. who do you turn to? You had an inexperienced backcourt and nobody else really to step up. And Zach Eady struggled last night, first from the free throw line early in shooting, but then in foul trouble. And Purdue held its own against a really good opponent without 
it's Naismith winner on the floor last night in key minutes. And I think that, was, to me, was the most impressive thing. 46862, the text line number 46862. Someone saying Purdue upperclassmen have to step up more. I don't... Guys, like, I, 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 th- th- you won the game. Like, I'm not going to nitpick, and, and I get, you'll say, well, that's what you did with IU the other night. Well, Louisville's Purdue's a terrible not very team. Good. Or IU's not very good. That's, what, that's the difference. Louisville's awful. Uh, Purdue just beat a top 10 ranked opponent. Let's enjoy the win. Yeah, for Purdue fans, to quit nitpicking, or, or the Purdue haters quit nitpicking, uh, because you want to find flaws in Purdue. That's a really good win. If IU went out last night and beat the number seven ranked team in the country, all of you folks would be texting in about how great IU is. But now we're poking holes in Purdue because it's Purdue. Uh, someone else, CK, I just look at teams like Michigan State, Duke, Kansas, and UNC, and all of them have great guards and consistent shooters. Does Purdue? That's uh, going to be the question, right? Yeah. And Fletcher Lawyer last night was was that player. So it, it had... You saw it last night in terms of Fletcher Laura being able to bounce back. There's still questions, and those questions aren't going to be 100% answered till March. I get it. But last night was impressive. No matter how you spin it, last night was impressive. It was a team that found a way to win in the environment it was in with its top player in foul trouble, with a mass, how the game was being called and played was difficult, and Purdue found a way. Just appreciate it. 46862, your text line number again, 46862. Coming up on the other side, yep, IU-Purdue bucket game coming up Saturday afternoon. Uh, It's going to be an afterthought because it's the same time as Michigan-Ohio State. What if there was a way to fix the old Oaken bucket game? We'll get into our ideas next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on Wednesday. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny. Don't forget, you can always stream us, 1380thefan.com on the free 1380 The Fan app or your smart speaker, that free as well. And the text line is 46862. Again, 46862. Just put CK before your message. And someone texting it, fix the old oak and bucket game. You mean like rigging the game to favor one team? No. We mean like making the game matter in terms of the college football landscape. Uh, now, you you teased this to me a couple days yeah. ago. Oh, yeah. I've, I've been saving this for a while. And now we'll give you your platform. How do you save this absolute insignificant <laughs> nationally? I get it. It's bragging rights between rivals. But nationally, how do you fix this rivalry? Well, step number one. Move it off of Thanksgiving weekend. And I get that's when a lot of these rivalry games are played. But in Indiana, for this game, has zero juice. Students are gone, right? You get bad crowds. The weather's usually crappy. Move it to October. And you say, well, but this is rivalry week. Well, here's the thing. You look at October. Let's look at some of the big rivalries in college football. Texas, Oklahoma. Tennessee-Bama, which is the third Saturday in October every year. Uh, Florida-Georgia. Notre Dame-USC, whenever they play in South Bay, is, is in the mid-October every year. That's just a, a handful. Some of the big rivalry games played at that stage. Uh, you have Michigan-Michigan State uh, played in October. So, to me, you need to make it a bigger event, and by doing so, you move off Thanksgiving weekend, one, where you're always relegated to the noon kickoff time, Always, right? Can you think of a year it wasn't a noon kickoff? I'm sure there not, are some. I'm sure there are some, but not nothing You're comes going to mind. against Michigan-Ohio State every year. Completely off the radar. And I get it. Like, 
when, when you stink, you get the bad TV slots. Yes. Now, when you're really good, you get the, the big Fox TV slot, but that's different. Like, when's the last time the Oakham Bucket game has been on national TV? I know, because it's always stuck on Big Ten Network. And, and, right. and to me, getting away from that weekend is a way to make this game bigger. And, and you may say, well, um, but, but what about, you know, teams playing for a bowl berth and things like that? Like, yeah, I get that, but hardly ever are both teams playing for yeah, a bull bird in this ever. matchup. And and so that, that to me is like, you have to find a way to, to make this game more interesting. And by making it, uh, you know, moving it to October, that's how you make it more interesting because the teams aren't completely out of contention for a bull bid or, or even in the big 10 necessarily at that point. Um, it, it's a way to add more juice to the game. And the other thing I would do is move it to Lucas Oil Stadium so you can't complain about the weather. I mean, people in the state are, are soft when it comes to weather and football games. So move it inside. You no longer have the excuse. Make it a showcase event and fill it up. Move it to Lucas Oil, fill it up, have it in October. That, that to me, is the best way to change this game into something that matters instead of an afterthought every single Thanksgiving weekend. It would help for the programs to be better. But I agree in terms of moving it off Thanksgiving weekend because it just doesn't deliver. It's not, it's not Alabama Auburn. It's not Michigan Ohio State. Of course, it's not a traditional rivalry in which there are national ramifications on Thanksgiving weekend, and that's really what you're looking for. It's the final weekend of the regular season in college football, and storylines aplenty. I mean, we're heading into a weekend where you can make a, a claim that eight, maybe nine teams have a chance to qualify for the college football playoff. It's a big weekend that's coming up. And so it further marginalizes Indiana and Purdue because it never has national implications. Even last year when you're saying, well, Purdue could win the the Big Ten West or whatever. It's just, there's no interest there nationally. And so while it is, yes, still a bragging rights game for sure, are you really feeling good if you're Indiana or Purdue fan on, on Saturday at about 3.30, 4 o'clock when you're saying, hey, we won the bucket. I mean, congrats. So you finished with four wins this year. I mean, it is a great job. Well done. Pat on the back. Go home while the rest of college football zeroes in on the good teams and crowning a national champion. And you could say, well, but it's never been played outside of Bloomington or West Lafayette, it has. In 1904, they played in Indianapolis at Washington Park. And Purdue won 27 to nothing in that game. That Purdue team was pretty good, going 9-3 and three, um, that year. So a, a, a pretty good record for the Boilers. So to me, like this is the logical step in a way to make this game mean so much more. So move it to, to October. May, do, would you like to see a traditional every year at Lucas Oil Stadium atmosphere type for this game? What uh, would be cool if you could get to a point like Oklahoma yeah, well, and, and that, Texas and that, where it's like half and half? Yeah, and that's what I think you get to. Half crimson, half gold, or black, whatever. That'd be pretty cool. Half white, half black. I mean, try to... Obviously, the programs are never both going to be good, especially Indiana to a point where it's going to have interest in that respect. So it has to come from outside of on the field in terms of hyping up this matchup. 
It just seems like, and, and and maybe it's still alive and well for Indiana grads and Purdue grads and fans. I get it, but really, like you look at this this uh, this rivalry, and it's a it's almost a regional rivalry. It's not a national rivalry. Nobody cares about Indiana and Purdue playing this weekend, particularly with how bad these teams are. So how do you hype it up regionally? And I think nothing could do that better than playing at Lucas Oil Stadium and moving it up in the schedule and making it. it you know, a, a bigger deal. Like, do you maybe get the game on ESPN or ESPN two or well, I guess moving forward it won't be on ESPN, but say like Fox Sports One or even Fox or CBS or NBC, but right? I mean that's like that's because of the, the new T V deal, you'd get a, a bigger platform. Well the problem is is the T V networks don't want this game. But if you move it up though, it'd be a po- more of a possibility, May, I guess yeah, is what I'm saying. I would agree. You have more of a possibility for it to be grabbed by that, so it's a good point. But like IU Purdue at Lucas Oil, you know, does that turn into an FS1 game or does it turn into even like the CBS game or the NBC game that weekend? There's a chance. I, I mean, to me, set yourself up to make this game matter and and you'll sell more tickets, in my opinion. It'll just be a more intriguing matchup played in October instead of waiting till Thanksgiving weekend where it's always an afterthought. How many people out there watching this game, even regionally, locally, over Michigan, Ohio State on Saturday? Unless you're a really big IU football fan or a really big Purdue football fan, you're not watching this game. You may turn it over at times just to see what the score is. I'll have it on like the iPad while I'm watching Michigan, Ohio State. Better off than most people. (laughs) I mean, here's the thing is locally, you have IU Purdue playing at the same time as Michigan and Ohio State. You also have them playing the same time as Bishop Lures and North Posey. Which that game will be streaming at 1380thefan.com due to the IU-Purdue game. So we'll, we'll have all the state games. In fact, both games on, on Friday, Class A involving Adam Central uh, and Indianapolis Lutheran, uh, 11 a.m. That'll be on 1380thefan. And then 7 p.m. the Snyder game. That will also be on 1380thefan. But again, Lures, North Posey, stream only, 1380thefan.com, 1380thefan app due to IU-Purdue. They get bounced on, on on our network, but that's due to uh, contractual, contractual obligations. obligations. Yes, yep. but when you look at the schedule on Saturday and outside of Michigan and Ohio State in that noon window, is I mean, you have TC, uh, TC Oklahoma is a Friday game. I think there's a lot of Friday games actually, um, but you have Texas A&M, LSU, you have Kentucky, Louisville. Uh, I, I mean, those to me have a little bit more draw than IU and Purdue. So not only are you competing with Ohio State and Michigan for eyes, you're also competing with A&M and LSU, Kentucky, Louisville, among others. Someone texting in uh, at 46862. Uh, CK, really? A game earlier in the season between two sorry programs is suddenly more interesting? Well, yeah, because they're not out of bowl contention yet. <laughs> like, it's, the records aren't as bad. Of course it's suddenly more interesting. Yeah, especially, I mean, now it's, it's, it is what it is. And you move it off a weekend that is all about um, hyping up the teams that still have a shot to make the playoff, okay? So that's the big thing, is you have to get it off a weekend that is of monumental importance for college football as the last week of the regular season. It's because it's a complete, complete afterthought. To me, this is your way to make a mark and and sell more tickets and I think have more anything, eyeballs. I think the biggest thing to, 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 to your point is 
is making it an event in Indianapolis, an annual event. And you can hype it up. There's plenty of Purdue and IU alums that would love to go and spend a weekend in Indianapolis or whatever. Friday night, you can have alumni parties and stuff like that, alumni events. And then Saturday's the game and half of the stadium is white and half of the stadium is black. I mean, just try to hype this up and infuse some energy in it because there's just zero, zero energy in this game because the issues with the team on the field, a ranked team has not won this game since 2000. That was 17, no, 2003. That was Purdue, was ranked, I think, 16th at the time. So you've gone 20 years, the last time a ranked team won the Oakland Bucket game. That's how inconsequential this rivalry is on the final weekend of the regular season in college football. 46862, your text line number 46862. Uh, Speaking of big games this weekend, on the other side, we'll talk with a player who's played in the game, Austin Mack, former Ohio State Buckeye, Bishop Bloor's grad, and coming off a CFL Grey Cup championship with Montreal. We'll talk, uh, catch up with him next here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two here on Wednesday, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Thanks for being with us. Coming up this hour, we'll get to Austin Mack, former Lures grad, Ohio State Buckeye, now a Grey Cup champion. We'll talk with him in just a bit. Plus, more on Purdue and Tennessee and Purdue trying to wrap up a Maui Invitational Tournament Championship this afternoon. And the Maryland AD says the quiet part out loud in terms of the future of college athletics. We'll get to that later this hour as well, all to come. Don't forget, you can always reach us on the text line at 46862. Again, 46862. And stream us for free, 1380thefan.com on the free 1380thefan app or your smart speaker. Now we welcome into the line former Bishop Bloor, former Ohio State Buckeye, played in the NFL, and now a CFL Grey Cup champion. For the Montreal Alouettes, Austin Mack. Austin, thanks for coming on this morning. What's up, guys? I appreciate you guys having me on in the morning. Uh, great to be with you. Last time we chatted, it was uh, right around MacFest over the summer. Obviously, a lot has happened since then. Your first season in the CFL, you had quite the circus catch, a, a big game in that win on Sunday. Six catches, 103 yards, and a touchdown. What was it like playing in the Grey Cup, and what was the environment? How do you compare it? to things here in the States. Yeah, man, the environment was, I mean, electric. Uh, the fans were fans were extraordinary. The scene, the stage, I mean, absolutely amazing. It was a beautiful night out there in Hamilton, Ontario. Uh, I think it was just about 30 degrees, clear skies. Um, but, I mean, amazing. I've, I've been able to, been blessed to be a part of three Big Ten championships. I can honestly say this great Cup championship is, is by far the best of, out of all three of those, man. It's, it's, it's extraordinary, and um, it, was a, it was a great great time last night. Austin, in terms of coming from, from the NFL and, and, and Ohio State, of course, was there a, a tremendous adjustment to Canadian football? Is there anything that really kind of caught you off guard, anything you had to adjust to, or is it pretty much the same? Yeah, man. I mean, the game's completely different. Um, you know, just to give you guys some uh, – you know, some examples from the receiver position, you know, we get this thing called a waggle. Um, a waggle is a head start run, run sprint from the, from the slide or outside. You know, you can get as deep as you want and 
uh, for the boss and that run full speed out of guys. So that's awesome. You can also go laterally on the line of scrimmage. Um, the defensive line has to be a yard off the ball. Um, and there's this thing called a rouge. So if you kick the ball into the end zone um, and, the, and the returner doesn't take it back out, the other team gets a point, uh, which is called a rouge. I mean, there's so many little uh, nuances and um, in this game, man. It just, it, it's a lot of fun. But at the end of the day, it's still football. Um, and uh, still, you still got to compete. You still got to, you still got to go one on ones with the opponent across from you, and you still got to win your matchup. So, um, definitely different. But I mean, at the end of the day, still football. What are your off season plans now that you finished up that season? The CFL are are you still working to get back to the NFL? Do you feel comfortable staying in the CFL? Kind of where's your head at with that right now? Yeah, man. Right now we're celebrating. We got the parade today. <laughs> um, um, so I, as you can hear, my voice is still a little going. I've been having a great last few days. Um, I, I, my plan, though, is to head back to the Midwest, uh, see family for the for the uh, for the holidays. Um, haven't haven't seen the fam since since I was in high school, guys. Usually, you know, college and the NFL our season still going on. So to be able to get back home, uh, to be able to go see and watch the Lures Knights man in the state championships for the first time in a while, I, I don't think I'll be able to be there, but I'm going to be able to get to watch it. That's going to be awesome. Um, and then, uh, obviously there's a window right now from now until January 15th, uh, which allows CFL players, uh, to make that transition to the league. If the team, uh, requests to either look at them or uh, have them come out and try out. So right now me and my agent are, are, are way into here, here for anything, uh, and, and those woods, um, obviously if the opportunity comes, man, uh, I'm going to take it and God willing, uh, you know, the, you know, the opportunity happens. Um, if not, man, I'm, I'm going to make a career up here in Canada uh, and continue to be one of those bright spots for Montreal. Canada and, and Montreal, known for hockey, but Montreal Alouette's first championship since 2010. How much has this meant to the city of Montreal? Oh, man, this is huge. And I think I think today I'll get a, a little bit more understanding of how big it is for, for Montreal, man. It's been 13 years since they've um, been able to celebrate a championship like this. I mean, this is a... Uh, in a beautiful, beautiful city, um, beautiful province. Uh, the people are amazing, um, and you just see so many, you know, so many things. Not only what the team had went through, but uh, you know what the city of Montreal had to go through from from not feeling equal, uh, from the CFL not not having any French uh, uh, French um, national anthem in the in the West and uh, East final. They didn't have any LCF or French letters on the on the uh, banners or uh, any of the stuff on, on the stadium and the Grey Cup. I mean, nobody really thought we were going to make it. So we had to prove everybody wrong and to be there and to really finish on top and, and, and do it with such a special group. Um, I mean, it's, it's a dream come true, man. How is your French, by the way, Austin? <laughs> I'm, pretty good. I'm pretty good with the, uh, the intros and the, and, the, and the exits, man. You know, I got my bonjours, uh, you know, your merci beaucoup's. It's the in-between i got to work on, for sure. <laughs> you know, Austin, you bring up an interesting point and discussion because when, you, when you're coming up and, and you, were, you were a dynamic D1 athlete and come in and everybody says, well, I'm going to go to the NFL, and you see it so much on, on the basketball side, well, my dream's the NBA, and you can make really good careers playing not in the NFL but in the CFL or in basketball overseas. You can make 
have a good career and make money. And so how how important is that to 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 forward that message that hey, there's only a certain amount of few that just that get into the NFL first off, which we were able to experience, and then be able to stay there for a significant amount of time. How important is that message to say hey, there are other ways to make a career in professional football outside of a, a professional league like the NFL and NBA? Yeah, man, I think, uh, you know, regardless, you get to a point, you know, in your life, I mean, I have a family now, I have a wife and a daughter, you know, you got you to, gotta, gotta, you know, figure it out. And, um, um, you know, it's either you're going to continue trying in the NFL, if it doesn't work out, you're going to hang them up, or you're going to continue to keep shooting for your dreams um, and look at other op- options. Um, the CFL is an awesome league. It's been, it's been around longer than um, the NFL, actually. Um, it's been, the first great cup was in 1909. <laughs> um, um, there's a lot of stability up here, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of good football and a lot of good people that's been up here in the CFL. And so, um, for me, for me personally, it's just trying to find stability. If there's if there's an opportunity in the league, I obviously want to go for it, you know. But being being a bubble guy, being somebody that came out during the COVID year, um, wasn't didn't wasn't able to get drafted, um, made the team, but dealt with injuries, so I have a little uh, report in that and that. And for me, it's you know, I have a daughter now. Uh, I just want stability, man. And I'm still able to play a child's game uh, for six figures, man, and for six months out the year. And, and, I, and for me, I just want to play as long as I can until the wheels come off, man, and, I, and then we can get into the real world. So for me, I'm just trying to have as much fun, as much experiences. And, and for me, being up here in Montreal, it's like being in Europe. Man, I don't know if you guys have ever been to Montreal, but, I mean, it's, it's like a split image of Europe from the French, from the agri- uh, from the architecture, and uh, and the beautiful scenery here in Montreal. So uh, for us, man, it, it's just perspective. I'd say more than anything, and being just humbled and and and, and thankful and grateful for to be able to play a game uh, and for a living. Austin Mack joining us, and you you mentioned Montreal and adjusting to life in Canada and, and saying you know Montreal is is not just a renowned city in North America, like it's a world renowned city. What is that experience? been like as you've now grown more adjusted to living there and is there maybe one thing that the canadians do better than we do here in the states that you would love to bring back here man i don't know if you know but if you if you've ever heard of this it's called poutine yes oh i love poutine, poutine it's good is, oh my goodness that right there is, it's basically uh fries with gravy and cheese curds and it's the most amazing little side dish i've ever had <laughs> you tell you that right now so um, but if we could bring back poutine to Fort Wayne, I'd say I'd say start right there. Uh, and and what's your go-to Timbit? Say it again. I'm sorry. Uh, your go-to Timbit from uh, Tim Hortons favorite favorite flavor. Ooh, the uh, birthday cake. <laughs> the big birthday cake guy. Uh-huh. Big mocha mocha with some oat milk and a, and a, some birthday cake uh, Timbits for sure. And uh, before we let you go, Michigan, Ohio State, Saturday. So you're, you're going to be probably watching two screens. You have Lures in the state title game Saturday morning, and then obviously Michigan, Ohio State at noon. Um, do, do you feel good about the Buckeyes' chances on, on Saturday? Man, this, this is what – I mean, these games right here is what you look for every single year. This is what the rivalry used to really mean, man. You know, before we went on this 12-year hiatus of, of destroying Michigan, you know, it, it used to be back and forth, back and forth. That this game really depended on who went to the national championship or who you know went to the Rose Bowl or who was going to go to the Big Ten championship, and you know it's 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 great to see you know these two really really strong caliber schools back at 
you know, being the best. And it's going to be a really big, it's going to be a really big matchup, man. I'm excited for the Buckeyes. I, I really like my Buckeyes. I've already put out a few side bets, man. So uh, I, I got the Buckeyes all the way full, full, full um, belief in these guys, man. Marvin Harrison's going to have a game. I feel really good about Kyle McCord and the defense, man. So um, it's our year, man. We went on two-year lows. A little split, but we coming back this year, man. Coming. Awesome, Mac. Lures grad, now Grey Cup champion joining us. Awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time uh, this morning and enjoy some time off uh, back home. And uh, we'll talk to you down the road. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Kevin Kenny. Appreciate you guys having me this morning. Absolutely. That is Austin Mack with us. And man, have you had poutine, Justin? I have like not had good poutine. poutine. Yeah. I have not had poutine, which sounds like a business venture for Austin when he's done playing. Is Jalen Smith came home and got involved in business. Yeah. Austin Mack can bring poutine to Fort Wayne, Indiana. Like Timbits are good. I'm I'm a fan of I want to say the honey. Like the honey Timbit. The honey Timbit, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I'm poutine with Austin. Birthday is, cake is, is tough to beat. Next level. Um, like I, I like Timbits, but poutine, yes, when it's done right. And I, it's very hard to have it done right here in the U S now, where, where did you have it up in Canada? Yeah. In Canada, um, Vancouver. Okay. So, which also is a, a great city. I've not been to Montreal, but I've heard great things, but yeah, it's a, it's a great city, Montreal. I've never been either, but, um, the, the mix of European culture mm-hmm. and North America is just, uh, it's everything. In it, it is. Like Toronto and Montreal, like you put on par with like global cities and not just in North America. Yeah. Because it's just, it's, it's, it's just different from other places. Definitely. I think Toronto, Montreal is different because I think Toronto's close enough to the States. You still get that vibe a little bit. Montreal, it feels like you're visiting Europe in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And and just like he said. So I I think it it is fascinating though. and, And he talked about it. Look, six-figure income, right? Playing football. And, there's, and you're there's playing worse the CFL. Things. There's yeah. worse things. And, and my guess would be with how he played this year, he wasn't just good in the in the Grey Cup. He was good across the season. Had over 1,000 yards, uh, six touchdowns. Uh, or excuse me, no, that was at Ohio State. He had over 1,000 yards, though, uh, on the season. Yeah, it was almost 1,300 yards, I think. He went for, let's see, I got it up right here. Uh, 1,257 yards, 84 receptions, five touchdowns in 18 games, and and he got to waggle. Yeah, the waggle. Is, I, I always wondered what that was called. I know what he's know. talking about, the run-up to the snap. Yeah, the run-up to the snap. The I waggle. didn't know the rule where if you don't return a kick I out of either. the end zone, it's a point for the other team. <laughs> Could you imagine that being in the NFL? Because they're doing everything they possibly can to marginalize kickoffs, is you are punished for not returning the kickoff. Because now you can down what, inside the... 10 inside the five mm-hmm. and it's a touchback. Could you imagine it kicking the end zone? If you do not return it out of the end zone, it's uh it's a point for the other team. I like it. Yeah. I, I like it too. I th- think it would fix the return game in the NFL. CFL's not worried about no collisions. They got no. running starts for wide receivers. They got guys having to return the ball. If they catch it 10 yards deep in the end zone, it's chaos up there. Did you see his one handed catch by I the did. way? That highlight absolutely is phenomenal. phenomenal. Reminds me of, Seeing him at, at, at Bishop Lures and seeing him at Ohio State, it's great to see Austin Mack. I think the biggest message, too, for Austin Mack, we talked about it, is so many kids' dreams are going D1 and then the NFL or going D1 and playing in the NBA. And that's not attainable for the majority of people. 
And it is perfectly okay to go overseas and make a lot of money playing basketball and not play in the NBA or go up into the CFL and make six figures playing football and 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 not make it to the NFL. And Elston Mack was able to make it to the NFL. So it 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 helps because I think there's a lot of, of mantra out there. If you don't go D1, it doesn't matter. If you don't go to the pros, it doesn't matter. It does matter. And Austin Mack is a great success story in proving that. Coming up on the other side, Purdue. They get the win over Tennessee. Now we look forward to the matchup with Marquette. We'll preview that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on a Wednesday that feels like a Friday. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Again, 46862. Just put in CK before your message. And if you missed our interview last segment with Austin Mack, I encourage you to check it out on the podcast that will be up uh, later on this morning. Look for it around 1030 this morning. Uh, you can download it for free. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Good stuff from the uh, Bishop Lures grad, former Ohio State Buckeye, stit in the NFL, now a CFL Grey Cup champion. Uh, talking about his season in Canada and you know, adjusting to that, but uh, really good stuff from Austin last segment. And as he mentioned, a the Grey Cup is over a hundred some years old. Mm-hmm. I think it started in 1909. So, a really prestigious trophy. And congratulations to Austin Mack for winning the Grey Cup with the Montreal Alouettes. Which uh, a lot of great team names. Alouettes, I think, is one of the good ones. Calgary Stampede, St. Yes. Peter's, right? Um. Edmonton Eskimos, is that right? Um, I know it's the BC the Lions. Yeah, the BC Lions. You have Toronto Argonauts. Uh, I'm partial to the Toronto Argonauts. What's the Hamilton team name? Uh, the Ham- well, you got the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Yeah, yeah I Rough like Riders. the Rough Riders. That one's good. I don't know if Hamilton, Hamilton has, a, has a team. They have a team because the game was played in Hamilton. Oh, the Tiger Cats. Tiger it? Cats, yes. That's also really good. I'm yes. sure we're missing a few teams. Who who are we missing? Uh, who else has a team? What's name names? Uh, does Ottawa have a team? Ottawa. Um, I'm sure they does do. Does Edmonton have a team? I'm we just named Ed, we okay. name Edmonton the Eskimos. Naming cities. Um, Toronto. You mentioned them. Uh, Winnipeg. Does Winnipeg have a team? Um, uh, yes, the Blue Bombers. That's a good one. So uh, Edmonton, they're the Elks, not the Eskimos. Oh, okay. Uh, and then Ottawa Red Blacks. That was the other one we were Ah, missing. yes, yes, yes. So. Yeah, some good some good team names up there, the CFL. There's a, a planned CFL team? I, I didn't know this. Did you know there are, there are American teams in the CFL? There, there used to be. I remember that. Baltimore, Birmingham, Las Vegas, yep. Memphis. I only, this is all in the 90s for like one, one year. I only knew that because you could play with them on Madden back in the day. And you're like, what is this? Not only the regular CFL teams you knew, but actual other ones uh, that you didn't know about in the Ameri- in the Americas. There have been other proposed teams. There was a proposed team in Milwaukee uh, mm. in 96. That's pretty much Canada. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's been a proposed team in Quebec City. And the Atlantic Schooners mm. uh, Plan to join the CFL. I, I don't think that's going anywhere. I think they have like right now like 11 or 12 teams, 10 or 11, something like that in the CFL. Sure. Uh, let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There's nine. So they're probably looking for that, you know, 10th team. 10th team, team yeah. To cap it off. But yeah, Quebec City or, you know, that's one of the few places you could really 
add a team. That's the one spot that's really missing. Yes. That's about it. Fascinating league, and I've not watched enough CFL to, to really follow it, but it take, does, when I have watched it, it is entertaining. If you take anything out of this morning's show, you now know the waggle, what that's yes, called. The waggle. the running start. I didn't know that was the term, and now I'm just fascinated. Now, now I just want to stop oh, saying it. Now I want to like watch a CFL game and be like, yep, watch for the See, waggle. Yep, you can tell, tell your wife that, hey, look, there's, there's the waggle. There's the waggle. It sounds sound smart. <laughs> yeah. Uh, meanwhile, in college basketball, Purdue, they got the win last night over Tennessee. Who do they play today for the Maui Invitational? Not number one, Kansas, but number four, Marquette. And Marquette trying to do something that hasn't been done since 1963. Mm. And that has beat the AP Top 25 number one and two teams on consecutive days. Loyola Chicago did it in the 1963 NCAA tournament, beat number two, Duke. On March 22nd that year, number one Cincinnati on March 23rd. Um, they'd be the 10th team overall to do it, but again, it hasn't been done since 1963. And for this Marquette team, uh, a physical game last night with Kansas, you had, had Kevin McCuller jawing with Shaka Smart, some bench techs uh, going on in that one. But for Marquette, I, I mean, look, Kansas has an absurd amount of talent. But Marquette had a 10-point lead at halftime. Uh, they're now 3-11 against top-ranked teams overall. First victory since beating Villanova in January 2017 against the number one team. So this is a big win. And for Purdue, yeah, I think we're all looking forward to the, the matchup with Kansas. But, I mean, Purdue can move up to number one with a win. And I get it. It doesn't matter early in the season. But it's still nice to see. It's... All going to be about which team has whatever left in right? the tank tonight. Three games in three days. And we saw what Purdue went through last night in terms of that physicality with Tennessee. Meanwhile, Marquette is a run-and-gun team. They like to get up and down the floor in transition, create chaos on defense, get out on the break in advantageous situations on the other end. What did they have left after playing for three straight days with the pace that they play? So... I don't expect the most uh, well-played game tonight, but it's an opportunity for both teams to get another marquee win, and Purdue can win the Maui Invitational. That's a successful trip out to Hawaii. Then again, any trip out to Hawaii is successful for going out there. But it's going to be a good matchup for Purdue from going from the bottle-it-up, make-it-ugly, half-court style of Tennessee to really a Marquette team that wants to open things up. And I think this is kind of the, the the matchup. Again, no one would expect it. It would have expected this, and it's maybe not quite the draw, right? Of one versus two, but it's still a, a tough test. And and for Purdue, win or lose, Maui's been a success, and I think that's the biggest thing to take away. Is you've checked that box, you got to the championship game. Obviously, they want to win it, but I, I think for me, getting through this schedule, beating Gonzaga, who yes, I get that they're number eleven, but. It'll be a top 10 team probably by the end of the season uh, beating number seven, Tennessee, like you're checking those boxes and, and that's all you can do. And, and again, we talked about this the other day, but balancing that act of enjoying what they're doing now and also realizing what needs to come in March. And, and that's what you have to do with this team. You know, what's interesting is these two teams played last year at Mackey and the Gavit games. Uh, was that what it was? Yeah. Early in the season. Yes. Yeah. It was the Gavin Gavit games. And neither team was ranked at the time and ended up <laughs> Purdue got to number one and Marquette got to 
the, did they get to the second? No, they lost to Michigan State in the second round last year. But entered the, uh, they were the two seed, I think, last year in the tournament, I want to say. Yes. So two teams that ended up being very highly ranked in the big dance played as unranked opponents in mid-November last year. That was a game that Marquette led in the second half by a considerable margin. I think that was the game that Braden Smith kind of broke out for Purdue last year and how, how different things are now a year later meeting in what is a top four showdown in Hawaii for the Maui Invitational Championship today. And it's a, it's a really good Marquette team. Uh, Tyler Kolek, a, a, a great guard. You have Oso Igadaro uh, inside battling with Zach Eady. He runs 6'11". So th- there is a, a very good team. And Cam Jones as well on the wing. This is going to be an intriguing matchup. I, uh, again, I'm not going to lie. I'm slightly disappointed it's not Kansas-Purdue. Are you? Yeah. And you had you're you're not a Bill no, Self guy. No, I am not. You are not a Bill Self dude. So I am not a fan of Bill Self. Um, not a fan of Kansas as a program after what they got off with essentially nothing after their their scandal. So I I wanted to see Purdue play the big dog, but uh, again, either way, Purdue wins tonight. They're number one. I think that's the biggest takeaway in this matchup. And I understand it's early. And someone texting in at 46862. Uh, CK, as long as we don't play Rutgers, I won't mind being number one. <laughs> and that's the good thing. They're not playing Rutgers. And no. you, you look at the schedule for Purdue, Rutgers isn't even on the horizon anytime soon. Not till January 28th. Yeah, so the you, you can relax. But tonight, don't expect the, the, the most well-played game tonight by either team. This is, these teams are just going to be, they're tired, they're beat up, they've played, there's no breaks over the last couple of days, they're playing really good teams. If if Purdue comes out and shoots four of twenty seven from three, don't jump down their throat. If if Marquette comes out and has twenty one turnovers, don't jump down their throat. I mean, this is just not going to be the most blissfully well played game all season long between these two teams. It's which team can reach the finish line with enough to win a Maui Invitational Championship. So at the very least, we're going to get two top-ranked teams for sure tonight, but I don't expect a, a clean game whatsoever. But certainly not a muck-it-up game either. Hope I think not. that's the biggest thing, is we're not going to see what we saw yeah, last night. Yeah, it can't be last night. That's for sure. 46862, your text line number again, 46862. Coming up on the other side, the Maryland AD says the quiet part out loud when it comes to the future of college athletics. We'll get to that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney. Thanks for being with us on a Wednesday, day before Thanksgiving. Feels like a Friday, but it's not. Nope, not now. Do you consider, because I, I have already said it's the holiday season, you have not, do you consider today the start, tomorrow the start, Friday the start, where does it start for you? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah. Okay, so the holiday season for Caleb starts tomorrow. Now, I know a lot of people, it starts November 1st, which I don't know how, because you still have Halloween decorations up. Uh, yeah, we didn't put up ours, thankfully, till uh, like a week ago, maybe, but that's, that's a, a battle that I always lose. <laughs> So I, I'm okay that we put the lights up last weekend, but they haven't been turned on. They, they, I might say they could be turned on tonight. 
Yeah, you've said that uh, the the uh, night of lights downtown. You live close enough to downtown that people can wander over and stand in the in the, <laughs> in the street and watch you light up your icicle yeah, lights. Yeah. So you watch Santa get lit up, the wreath, and the 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 stuff uh, downtown, and then you can mosey on over to Caleb's house. See the icicle <laughs> lights turn on. Yeah, be real exciting uh, when it gets dark at what five thirty, six o'clock. <laughs> yeah, head on over, uh, and maybe an inflatable or two. No, or ten. No, we are not an inflatable household. No. Now, do you have people on your street that are inflatable people? Uh, you know that's a good question. I I can't recall from last winter and. I haven't seen any yet this winter. In fact, I haven't seen any lights yet. It really? was weird. Like we were putting up our lights Sunday and I just realized like, it's kind of weird. I haven't seen anything yet. You're the first ones on the block. I guess I'll give it to tonight or tomorrow. Yeah. I'll be very surprised if we're the only ones turning lights on like tonight. So yeah, mosey on over. You can see the lights lit up at the uh, hatch household tonight. Who needs, who needs Santa downtown? Yeah. Which? Yeah. When you could see icicle lights. Yeah. <laughs> And it'll be less, much less crowded. Beat the crowd. Go over to Caleb's house. Limited parking, though. That is true. Yeah. Much like downtown. <laughs> yeah, also true. So, uh, Maryland Athletic Director Damon Evans said an interesting thing in regards to the future of college sports. He said, I do believe there's going to be a change in five years. Add sharing revenue with student-athletes probably on the table. So, he's admitted it. And... NCAA President Charlie Baker, in an interview with Meet the Press last week, uh, said there are 50 to 70 programs dramatically different than the rest. Huh. Mm. What is he referencing here? Now, a lot of implications for this because we only think about it in terms of football, but would this also mean the NCAA tournament could change because of that? Yeah, potentially. Uh, I, I think, unfortunately... The NCAA tournament could be impacted because of of the sport being impacted by football, because that drives the uh, money, considerable amount of money. I know that March Madness makes a lot of money too, but football is really leading a lot of the charge here. But I, I do think we're reaching a point to right now, and then this is kind of the end game when you look at it. So right now in the Division One uh, landscape, we have FCS, FBS. And within five years and maybe by the end of the decade, could we have FCS, FBS, and power whatever? Yeah, like it's referred to either as commonly power five, but in, in a lot of these things, it's been referred to as autonomy five. Same thing. Well, yeah, it's going to be the, the power four starting next year. True, true. So that's kind of where you're headed. Now, what does it look like? They have separate championships, okay? Do they have... Do they play in games during the season? How does that look? What does it look like in terms of quote unquote group of five? Are they left behind in the new model in terms of the 12 team playoff? What does that look like? But I see you could really see a break off at least maybe in football. You have these three different levels, but then it goes back to two for basketball potentially. I I think, well, and the, the power five, which again, as you brought up, no pack pack 12 next year. So it's really power four plus whatever um but they'll split off and they'll be separate from the ncaa and and i just wonder like will they still they'll still want to play though some of these quote-unquote ncaa schools right and that will be where things get tricky and i've i've always said this seems inevitable 
But I think the biggest thing holding it up is just simply like legal liability, right? It's that, you know, the college football playoff hasn't split off because, well, they don't want to take the burden of the liability of, of fully running the sport. Right. They can hide behind as much as the NCAA can sometimes be ineffective in what it does. They can hide behind that veneer of of the NCAA being in quote unquote control and the rules and regulations and everything. And they don't have to do that, but they would have to do it in that. But you look at at why this could only you don't want this to impact basketball because basketball and the tournament, whether you you say that uh, more teams, you may have whatever the tournament is, is great as is. So you need to keep that. But you look at the at, at just a glance at the top 25 right now in basketball, and you look, it can't simply be a split for basketball, too. You have Marquette up there, not a FBS football program. You have Creighton, not an FBS football program. Gonzaga, same thing, not an FBS football program. Um, you continue to go down and down, and uh, you look at, um, let's see, what are some Villanova, obviously, yeah. not an FBS football program. So you don't want to lose the uh, the the impact of 360 some teams and 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 some of the powers of basketball not being in the FBS. You can't simply say we're going to do the same thing for football as we're going to do for basketball because it impacts basketball considerably. And that's where this gets tricky. But to have the NCAA president and an AD basically say on record, yeah, we're, we're expecting a change in five years. And a lot of this has to do with with the the lawsuit. Um, as far as revenue sharing, the, the players are seeking the house first NCAA antitrust lawsuit. Um, a lot of it, a lot of this ties back to that, but all of this feels inevitable, and it's just how do they navigate it? And again, if the Pac-12 merges with the Mountain West, which has been floated, then that gets you back to those Power Five conferences. But again, like you said, huge impact for schools like. Seemingly every biggie school, right, that doesn't have a f- right. a football program outside of UConn, which <laughs> saying they have a football program is, yeah, is, is generous. Is, is generous, yeah. <laughs> but you look at what do you do? You take the hockey model. Obviously, it's magnified because it's football. But you have, uh, let's say, in hockey, you have the I think it's the NC National Collegiate Hockey Conference that has uh, Arizona State that's about to join it. You have. Omaha, you have Western Michigan. So you're, you're bringing programs together from different leagues to form a hockey-specific league. Okay, Of course, the biggest example being Notre Dame and the Big Ten for yes. hockey. right? So you have alternate leagues for hockey. And maybe that's where you're going in the sense that you have a separate um, division for power programs for football. But then again, where do you draw the line? Because... You look at college football, and it, it, it's still with the group of five. While we've 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 kind of looked at the MAC as kind of a, you know whatever it's a joke and and stuff in terms of national relevancy and everything, but there are a group of five teams that are very impactful in the college football ranks, right? Do you want to completely shut the door on them? Do you look at it and say no? We're not going to play with Tulane anymore. We're not going to play with Liberty anymore. We're not. We're going to throw aside James Madison. Some of these teams that have had a lot of success this season that are not part of the Power Five. So how does that work? So a lot of things need to be decided. But I think I really think by the end of the decade, you're looking at a separate division 
for the majority of those power programs. Well, and again, they'll still want to play those other programs, right? Yes. And Early in the year in those non-conference games right? or rivalry games that are now non-conference games. So they got to find a way to work around that. I would love to see a format similar to Premier League where you get promoted and demoted from that top division based on performance. Oof. I don't think it would ever happen because no. it's collegiate athletics and you probably couldn't. But I would love to see, okay, Tulane, if you go out and have a couple really good years in the FBS, quote-unquote, which would be the middle division in what we're talking about, you get bumped up to the power division. I think that'd be really cool. They might as well, uh, here's the thing, they might as well do this anyway because it's not like the group of five really has a seat at the table as it is. Like, yeah, they, they have a token thing and Cincinnati was able to break through to get to the playoff, but just kind of that we knew ball. that was a, a one-off thing. Like, they, they had to schedule Notre Dame on the road, right, to make that happen. A one-off game. They had to win that game. They won that game. They had to go undefeated. They did. They checked every box they had to do and then get destroyed by Alabama. But I hope whatever the these these conferences and these pro, these these schools decide to do, it only impacts football. Yes, I don't want it to impact basketball because that system works by and large. <laughs> Text coming in at four six eight six two. CK, if they split off, they uh, can they adopt the Canadian rules? Purdue might have a chance. Yeah, if we bring, can waggle. Bring the waggle, and whatever they whatever Austin called the uh, return from the end zone. The ruse to do. is that the ruse? Yeah, bring us the waggle and the ruse. The waggle. We want the waggle and the ruse with the new division in football. Coming up on the other side. Hey, Bears back in the news. Uh, we have a, a bear story in California. This to me is a fear. Something that, uh, well, I, I sort of encountered hiking the Smokies oh. about ten years ago. Excellent. We'll give this next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, final time for the day, final time for the week. Uh, text rolling in at 46862. Heading into Kroger's. Wish me luck, fellas. First off, thank you for adding the S. This is Indiana. It's not Kroger. It's not Aldi. <laughs> it's not Meyer. We're arguing about this. It's Kroger's, Aldi's, Myers. Uh, back when Marsh was around, it was Marsh's, uh, Walmart's. Uh, so yeah, good luck. And then our poll question of the day is up at Caleb Kinney 1380 on Twitter slash X worse shopping day, Thanksgiving Eve or Christmas Eve. I'm actually going to go with Thanksgiving Eve because it's you need to go to a store worst. and get specific items that everyone else is looking for. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's chaos today. Anybody who does it is a, it, it, it granted, if you forgot one thing, that's one thing. But the people that are there getting everything. Like you are insane. And, and I'm someone who's shopped on Christmas Eve. I can handle that. I could. I could not. Now you're shopping tonight. for food or shopping for gifts on Christmas Eve. On Christmas Eve, shopping for gifts. Gotcha. Right. I don't think that's as bad. No. As today. Today is no. Just, today. Today is worse. It's anarchy today. Just All right. Stay away. Uh, final story. They no. We're not talking about the Cal Golden Bears. Is a text reported out, but a California jogger. Uh, captured a video of an encounter with a mother bear and her two cubs Ooh. on a Sierra Madre trail. Uh, Laura Gold posted the video to Instagram. It shows a mother bear and her cubs charging toward her on the trail as she attempts to back away. Now, she did the right thing. Uh, she's roaring in the video. The woman is roaring? Yes. Okay. Um, but this is like my fear. So one time I was hiking in the Smokies. This was probably 2012, 2013 uh, with my brother and... The uh, derecho had come through, uh-huh. and we're hiking, and it was 
I don't know, we probably hiked 11 miles that day. Nice. And there's like not many people on the trails because, well, they're trees yet got to climb through. Uh And coming around a corner, I saw a bear cross cross the trail and go into the woods. Thankfully, like... Up ahead? Yeah, up ahead. Like we stopped. Nothing happened. You know, we we waited. The bear was gone. Didn't have that running. But, But again, this lady... Had the run in, did the right thing. Puff your chest out, roar, basically. Well, the the, the scary thing is, too, is it's a mother with her cubs. Yes, you don't want to mess with that. The, you, that's no joke. And you may not be in a threatening manner doing anything. If, if they, if mama perceives you as being a threat, you're in trouble. So good thing for her that the bears moved on. But you don't mess with a, uh, a mother and her cubs. All right, that wraps it up for us today. Don't forget, we have Dan Patrick show coming up next. The Herd with Colin Coward at noon. Indiana Sports Beat at 3. And Purdue Basketball, pregame at 4, tip at 5. The Maui Invitational Tournament Championship, Purdue and Marquette. 5 o'clock tip time. Uh, all today coming up here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Have a happy Thanksgiving. We'll talk to you on Monday.